0: I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 50. I appreciate you worshiping God with us today. Your help, your participation in the worship of the Lord is so significant. I'm glad that you don't come as a spectator and you're not some religious person who's just doing church. I long for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to move through our lives He lives in every one of us and the gifts and the power of God are in every one of us that are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would see more and more just the miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And the way you will always know that there's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit is because there will be a preeminent attention that is brought to Jesus Christ. And and you will know that be solid and biblical and grounded. And, um, and so I just appreciate those of you that are desiring and believing God in these last days for a testimony of Jesus. I long for that. Um, there is a, an idea, I think, in Christianity today. It's been around for several decades. Um, but I believe there's an idea in Christianity today that is very amiss. And that is just if you come and give your life to Jesus Christ... You're going to experience a, a life that is just basically free of trouble and free of problems and free of persecution and free of heartache. Now, those of us that have given our lives to Jesus Christ, maybe even on that kind of theology, we've come to quickly learn that that's not the truth. It's not the case. And Jesus did not mix words. He certainly did not mislead us. He told us when He was preaching his gospel and making disciples. He said, I want you to understand as they've treated me, they will treat you. And what they've said about me, they will say about you. And there will be times when men actually think that they're doing the will of God by persecuting you. So I want you to brace yourselves and I want you to know that. Well, it it didn't take long for the church to experience the truth of those words. It began with Jesus and it continued with his disciples and every group of disciples that have ever come to Jesus Christ have experienced that. And we have remarkable words that have been given to us by Peter and and also by Paul about how we have come to understand the fellowship of God in these times of suffering. I speak a lot about suffering, speak a lot about trials because I think it is one of the most common things in our life. Even as Christians. And the Bible tells us that we need to be guarded because if we're not, we could grow weary and we could faint. And I believe we're running the last leg of this race. And I believe in the rapture of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Lord. And I don't want any of you to fall to the side. It's very hard to run in the night, it's very hard to run in the dark. Even if you're in a familiar place, it's hard to maneuver yourself because you're just unsure. And I want to talk to you this morning about the dark workings of God. And I want you to understand that in these times of trials and suffering and affliction and adversity, it's not because Jesus has been unfaithful to us or he has not been true to us. But God is producing something in and through our lives. Now, I know there are many reasons we could go into the dark season of our life. Perhaps we would go into sin and we would have a season of rebellion against the Lord. And and that night could become very, very dark to us. And I thank the Lord even for people that may find themselves in that dark night. There is a hope for you through Jesus Christ that the Father welcomes you back. And he will receive you and he will forgive you and he will be merciful and kind to you. He will not treat you the way people treat you. He will not treat you even the way you think you deserve. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. He doesn't, he doesn't do it the way we think it should be done. He puts the ring on our finger and the shoes on our feet and the robe on our back. And he kills the fatted calf and he celebrates because you've been restored. And, um, you know, it's just the mercy and the goodness of God that does that church in the first century was very acquainted with persecution. As a matter of fact, it was a practice of the apostle Paul that he would try to stay in touch with the churches, especially the ones that he had the privilege of founding, that he would stay in touch with them because he knew the suffering that was coming upon them and the inward travail that they would have from so many false teachers and doctrines. And Paul would make Comments to the people. He even said this in the book of Acts. That he would go back and establish and strengthen the souls of them. Or the hearts of the disciples. And I pray this morning if God in some way would give me the ability through the Holy Spirit. To establish and strengthen your soul and your heart as a disciple of Jesus. Urging and warning and encouraging us to stand firm in the faith. And telling them that through many hardships and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And I'm going to tell you that. Through many hardships and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I'm thankful there is a kingdom of God to enter. (laughs) I'm thankful that there is even a price that we have to pay to enter it. I'm so grateful that there is a kingdom of God to enter. Even though it's through a lot of hardship and persecution. But can I tell you this? Of any man or woman that's on the earth, you must, through much hardship and tribulation, enter hell. It's not just the price to pay to enter heaven. It is also the price men pay to enter hell. But in hell, the suffering and the hardship continues with no relief and magnified greatly. But for us that trust in Jesus Christ and we walk through hardships and trials, we enter into the kingdom of God where there's no more tears and no more sorrow and no more death and no more devils and no more flesh and no more opposition and no more deceit and no more trials, but we're in the presence of God and of the Lamb forever and ever and ever. No more cancer, no more chemo, none of these things that we ever have to deal with anymore. No more rising gas prices or inflation or wondering what we're, how we're going to be able to support our families here or there. Thank God that we're going to enter the kingdom of God. And so I pray that you make the proper choice and that you choose to enter God's kingdom, even through suffering and tribulation, rather than the kingdom of hell through suffering and tribulation. In Isaiah 50, it's, it's, it's been oftentimes one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. It's a, it's a messianic passage, in, and specifically what I mean by that is Isaiah's writing about Jesus Christ when he comes And I've always been impressed with Jesus. I mean, people say, who's your favorite character in the Bible? Jesus. Yeah. Well, we know that, but he really is. He's really my favorite character. He's really my hero. He's really everything to me. I don't want to talk about anybody else. I want to talk about him. I'll talk about Paul as long as he's talking about him, but I want to talk about Jesus. Because to me, Jesus is everything. And, and he's the lover of my soul. And I, and, and I have such great affections for him. Only because he has great affections for me. And I'm glad God is passionate. I'm glad God is not like a lot of religious people in our churches that are cold hearted. He's very passionate. He is a consuming fire. And he loves with all of his being. And he loves me that way. And he's loved me that way through his son, Jesus Christ. So when I read Isaiah 50. There are just things that I used to pray for when I was growing up. That God, would you please just give me that gift to be able to speak a word in season to those that are weary? Would you be able to do that? I can imagine how during the days of Jesus, the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and lawyers, right? Brilliant minds, the elite of the day. I can imagine how they would probably scheme together. I don't think they would just come up with this like on a, on a brief walk down the street. I, I, I would imagine they got together in a council And I would imagine that they sat around tables and they were discussing this one thing. How can we trap Jesus of Nazareth? What can we do? What is the one question we can ask him that will expose him as an imposter? What can we do? What's the one question? And so... They're just strategizing all of this. The situation poses itself. And these scholars and these lawyers and their scribes, they take occasion and they go to Jesus. And they say, we we have, Rabbi, we have a question for you. All these minds, there stands Jesus. And they ask him a question. And what does he do? He turns it around by asking them a question. And I don't believe he lived in frustration or or, or weariness or worried about what are they going to ask me today? He just walked with his father and his father is going to give him everything he needs to know. And I was just like, oh God, do that for me. I grew up in public school system. I faced a lot of things. I, I faced a lot of situations and a lot of people, some that were minimal religionists, some that were minimal Christians, some that hated God and everything. And you'd get asked questions all the time about your faith and your relationship with God. Why don't you do this? And they'd try to poke fun at you and make you look bad. And I would pray as a kid, Isaiah 50, and I'd say, God, give me that word. God, I want to be able to ask them a question that makes them look foolish. You know? And... um. Well, I'm still waiting on that gift. Um, but Jesus certainly had it, but it came at a price. And and these wonderful things do come at a price. And I guess the question that I would ask you is, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing for that? Um, so look at this, if you will, in verse three. I clothed the heavens with blackness. And I make sackcloth their covering. God does that. God says that I clothe the heavens with blackness. Not every day is a sunny day. Not every day is an easy day. Not every day is a nice day. Not every day, even when it's black and it's dark and it feels like nighttime when it should be daytime, not all of that is to explain that God is absent and God is away. He's working. The dark workings of God. When he drapes the heavens with darkness and with blackness. And he begins to do a work that men have a hard time tracing his hand. Oh, but God, when the clouds break up and the sun comes out. What God has woven together is astounding. And it's interesting that this, what we're about to go into begins here in verse 3 in such a way. Because it seems to change gears very quickly, but it really doesn't. This is the messianic part. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear. And I was not rebellious. Neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. And boy, did they come. Did they come near to him? The Romans came upon him. The Jews came upon him. The people came upon him. The religious came upon him. They pressed upon him. And here's God, the Father, in the moment of that, 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 that season where God is draping the heavens with darkness. We know that he did. The Bible records it historically. That in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the sky grew dark and the sun did not shine. The father, if you will, in Isaiah 50, stretched the heavens with a blackness. And he began to do a mysterious work that only he could bring forth out of this such glory and such wonder and such splendor. But in the moment of the night, it wasn't certain what is going on. Even Jesus Christ is on that cross suspended between God and men crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everything was not easy. Everything was not simple in that night. But the father would wake the son up every morning and he would speak to the son. And he would tell the son, this is what we're going to do today. And this is where we're going to go today. And today we're going to go to Samaria and we're going to meet a woman at a well. And we're going to bring healing to her. And we're going to bring an entire village to you. Oh, wonderful day. sunshiny day. And then one day Jesus would wake up and the father would begin to stretch the heavens with darkness. And he would say, son, this is what we're going to do today. They're going to spit on you. And I want you to let them. And they're going to pull the beard out of your face. And I want you to let them. And they're going to beat you. They're going to beat you horrifically that you will not even appear as a man anymore. And I want you to let them. And to top it all off. I'm going to put everybody's shame on you. And I want you to let me. And Jesus said, I have set my face like flint. And I will not turn back. And in that garden of Gethsemane where he was sweating blood and talking with his father, if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other solution, Father, but if there's not, I want your will over mine. Something transitioned in that garden where Jesus, when he walked out of that garden, did not leave the way he came into it. He did not leave laid over on a stone sweating blood. He stood before Pilate as a king. He was the one in charge. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was not being brought to death. He was going to death. He was not being taken by the Romans. He was giving his life. And though there were many things in that day he is going to experience and the horrific pain that he is going to go through. I am going to go through it because I know that the one who justifies me is with me. I don't see him. I wonder where he is. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I know you are here. I know that he who justifies me is near me. I know it. I can't feel it. I can't see him. My father stretched the heavens with blackness. But I know that he's here. What about that night? What about the workings of that darkness? Because how beautiful was the sunrise, right? And I'm talking about the S-O-N on the third day. And such a weaving of tapestry from confusion to beauty. That Jesus Christ is alive and the wisdom of the Father was there all along. And in the dark night of God, when we could not trace his workings in the dark, when the sun rose, we saw it all. And it was good. It was so good. And I want you to go to Job 10. And I want you to read this. We're, we're going to look at three passages this morning. Second one is Job chapter 10. So one of my top five people in the Bible is Job Um, I love Job because his testimony has gotten me through so much. And I thank God that his life tells me that there can be a life of intimacy with God. Because Job didn't have a Bible. And he didn't have Psalms and he didn't have Proverbs and he didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have anything. Actually Moses wrote this book. So he didn't have any of the writings of the law. But he had God. And he went through so much. So much suffering. And so much turmoil. Coming into chapter 10. Can I just tell you this. That there was a time when the sons of God. Would come and meet with the Lord. These were the angels. And at one of those meetings. Satan came as well. To meet with God and the angels. And God addresses Satan and he says, Satan, where have you been? And Satan says, from going to and fro throughout the whole earth. And God says, Have you considered my servant Job? And I would think, Why would you do that? I can think of a lot of backsliders I would suggest. I can think of Job sir could have thought of four friends he could have suggested. Um, Could have thought of a lot of pagans to suggest. Could have thought of a lot of nominal followers of God in his day that he could. We know the land was wicked. But no, God's not choosing a weak, faithless Shaky believer, if you will, that's barely hanging on. But God chooses a man on the earth that's unique. God would even say, There's nobody like him on the earth. Have you considered him? And why? Because I'm making a contest and I need a man who's going to hold to me through this whole ordeal so when it's over somebody can speak to me and speak for me to the sons of men for the next 6,000 years. And Job will do it. And the devil says, you just think he would. The only reason Job serves you is because you bless him. Look at his wealth. Look at his prosperity. Look at his homes. Look at his children. Look at his servants. You let me touch that God and I guarantee you Job will curse you to your face. Because at the end of the day, God, the only reason men serve you is for your blessings. They don't serve you because they love you. They don't love you. They love what you give them. They love what you do for them. So let me touch him and he will curse you. And the story is that God gave permission to the devil to go touch everything that Job had except for his not take his life. But he would also strike Job in his flesh and Job would suffer greatly. Chapter 10 is a pivotal chapter. I don't have time to read it all, but I want you to see something. Because Job says in 10, verse 1, my soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. So here's Job. And I'm reading this to you because the Bible says God said, God said this. In all these things, Job did not sin. God said that. So here's a man, and he's saying, I'm tired of living, tired of it. Come on, church. If you are not able to pour out the bitterness of your soul, what are you going to do? Continue to be a hypocrite and fake it? And one day just fall away and grow weary and and miss walking with God? Now, I want to to make something very clear. He's not pouring out his bitterness to God, it's the bitterness of his soul. He's not bitter with God, he's just bitter. This is hard. This is not easy. This life of faith is taking a toll upon me. And I don't want to live anymore. I'm done. You ever felt that way? So. I'm going to bring this. Complaint to God. Verse 2. I will say to God. Do not condemn me. So there's reverence and there's fear of God. Don't condemn me but show me. Why are you contending with me? Job doesn't suspect that this is devils and demons. Job doesn't suspect there must be sin in my life. But Job does go right to God, understanding that he is sovereign in all of his ways and powerful and omniscient. And Job says to God, why are you contending with me? Why are you doing this to me, God? Come on, church. No, know you've been there. Some of you are there now. What is going on? I'm tired. I don't want to go on anymore. I don't want to live anymore. We have the blessed hope of the rapture. If we didn't have that, we'd probably all be playing, God, if I could come home today, it'd be good. Just make it quick and painless. It'd be great. You now, People that don't know God don't understand that. We, they think we're suicidal and we need to be locked up. It's because of Michelle's. Because of the reality of the hope that we're hoping for is real. That's why we're not afraid to go meet God, but we get weary and we get tired. And Job is certainly saying this, and he just wants to know. And and if you will, I don't have time to read all this. I'm gonna highlight a few things. Verse eight. Your hands made me. You fashioned me, and now you destroy me. I know. That you guys don't talk to God like that. But you should. Because you're not being honest. The psalmist prayed like that. Why are you contending with me God? Now don't condemn me. Maybe I did something wrong. But God please show me why. He wants to be able to make it right. You made me. You made me, God, and now you're going to destroy me. He says in verse 11, you clothed me with skin. You granted me life in verse 12. And these things you've hid in your heart. I know that this is with you. I know that you know. These things, right? These things weary us to the point of death. These things. That's what it is with you as well. When I would ever ask if you were despairing for life or you were too tired. I just don't want to go go on anymore. Oh God, I just want to come home. I just want to be with you. I don't want to live here anymore. Why? Because of these things. That's why these things that I have to deal with, that I have to face. And I don't like it and I don't understand it, God. And I don't know what you're doing. Because you're obviously doing something that you've hid in your heart. And you're not telling anybody about it. And Job is desiring for God to speak to him. And he says in verse 15, the end of it, I am full of confusion. Therefore, see thou mine affliction. I'm full of confusion. I don't want, I don't know. I'm so glad. Thank you, God, for giving us the book of Job. And thank you, God, for the patriarch Job. And thank you, God, for how real he was and how true he was, God, in his faith to you. Because here's a man of God and a man of faith and a man that God commends. That there's no man like him on the earth who's perfect. He's mature and he hates evil. And here's this man of God on the earth saying, God, I am absolutely confused as to what you are doing. And I don't know why you're doing it and it hurts. And you know what, God? I should have been born and brought straight to the grave. This is tough. This is hard. This is difficult. And I have no idea the things that are taking place in my life. And and Job didn't. Job had no idea. He was totally oblivious to the fact that there was a meeting in heaven with Satan and God. He was totally oblivious to the fact that God was actually not picking him out to punish him. But God was choosing him. To develop a testimony in the earth that will support the faith of humanity for the next 6,000 years. And I need a man who loves me to do it. I need a man who will just believe me when I don't tell him why. I need a man who will go through it and set his face like flint. That I will not curse God and die. I will not do that. I will walk this out. And even if he slays me, I'll die praising him. That's the man God knew, and that's the man God chose. Sometimes, beloved, you walk through a season of darkness when God stretches the heavens out and you cry, God, where are you? God, talk to me. God, explain this to me. I'm so confused. If you're a God of love, why? Why? Oh, God, I cry to you and I pray, and you don't seem to answer me. Oh, God, help Maybe, maybe there has been a conversation in the spirit world. Between God and Satan about you. And you're not being picked on. You're being chosen. Chosen to be crushed. Chosen to be broken. Chosen to suffer affliction. That maybe for the next generation. You will be the means of sustaining somebody's faith. Pastor Lee went through this. God helped him. Christy went through this. Chris and Rachel went through this. And God helped them. And we get faith from them. We have no idea why, do we, Chris? We don't like it. It's not easy. It doesn't feel good. It's not fun. That's when God stretches the heavens with darkness and he begins his work that we don't understand and we can't trace his hand. But I know that he who justifies me is near. I know he's near. So my last scripture. Is in Jeremiah 17. And the Bible teaches us this. In Jeremiah 17. I'm just going to begin in in verse 12. It says, A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake you will be ashamed. Beloved, don't forsake him, even when you don't understand. And when it hurts, don't forsake him. The sun is going to rise. And they that depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise, my glory. Behold, they say to me, where's the word of the Lord? Let it come now. But as for me, I have not hastened from being a pastor to follow you. Neither have I desired the woeful day, you know. That which came out of my lips was right before you. Be not a terror unto me. You are my hope in the evil day. So, obviously, Jeremiah is in a place, you know, the persecution that he went through. I'm sure you're familiar with the besiege of Israel. And it was, they were destitute of food and water and it was horrible. It's horrible what they had to do to live. People that died and the way that they died was horrible. And Joshua, Jeremiah was the prophet that all of this was coming. So, they took him and they threw him into The the prison where the sewage of the city ran through it. And I'm sure people would come by and they'd look at Jeremiah and they'd say, where's your God now? Speak to us now, prophet. Jeremiah's, oh God. Heal me and I'll be healed. Save me. And I'll be saved. Still crying to God. And a refuge. Refuge. Filled prison cell. And lesser things take us out every day. And he says to God, Do not be a terror to me, for you are my refuge in the evil day. Strange. If you understand what Jeremiah says, it's really not. Because here he is. He is tormented. He is mocked and he's ridiculed. He's been speaking for God. You know, I've been a faithful pastor. I haven't I haven't withheld anything you've said to say. <clears throat> but these are the afflictions that I'm going through God and. I know I can trust you. But This is really hard. So he says this to God. Don't be a terror to me, for you're my refuge in an evil day. And it's important for you to know what he's saying. The word evil there is adversity, affliction, bad, calamity, distress, grief, boredom, or burdened, mischief, misery, vexed, sorrow, wicked. And the word terror, don't be a terror to me, is the word non-solution. Non solution. A more appropriate word even would be in dismayed. In this context, something that falls apart when you take hold of it, it crumbles at your touch. So, what Jeremiah is saying to God is that I've been faithful to you as your prophet. And I've spoken what you've given me to speak. And the people have turned away from you. And they come to me. And they mock me. You have a word for us now prophet? Oh God. Heal me. Isn't it wonderful that great men and women of God need healing? And I believe this has to do with emotions. Suffering. Suffering. Despair maybe, depression maybe, stress maybe. Heal me God. The reason these guys, Job and Jeremiah and these others get this is because they're honest with God about it. They don't pray King James prayers to God. Save me and I'll be saved. In the day of evil, in the time of my calamity, when sorrow has swallowed me up. And the wicked are all around me. and My soul is vexed. I'm running to you. You're my refuge. You're my hope. Don't fall apart on me. When I get there. When I touch you. In my evil day. Don't crumble. On me like picking up a thing that you made in the sand and you you built this little thing and you try to go underneath the sand and pick it up and it just starts to fall apart. And Jeremiah is saying that to God. In the evil day and the day when I'm vexed and it's hard and the wicked are around me and I'm broken and I'm sorrowful and I'm, and I'm scared and all of these things are happening I'm running to you and when I run to you and I touch you, God, don't let my problems dismay you. Don't be a non-solution to me. You are my refuge. And what does God say? Come. Unto me. All ye. Who are weary. And heavy laden. I will. Give you rest. I will not. Fall apart. I will not crumble. Touch me with the feelings of your infirmity and watch how strong I am. And there it is for you. Stand with me. Will you come? Will you come? Will you be honest? Will you get rid of the bitterness that's in your soul? Come on. You don't have to wait for a worship team. You need to be in this altar. Come. Come unto me. You can sit safely in your comfort. Or you can stretch your faith. And come. Come to these altars. I don't want a church where we have no altar. I don't want a church where we have no move of God, where we have no waiting on God. That's happening in our culture everywhere. No time for the altar, no time to fall before God and worship Him and let His Word come into our hearts. Some of us grew up in churches, and the only thing we thought of an altar was where people get saved or rededicate their lives. Not true. It's where Abraham and men of God talked with God. They built altars and they laid before God come and get in this altar. Come on, let your bitterness out if you have it. Come on and trust the one that's near you. Even when the sky has been stretched dark and you cannot see the hand of God or what he's doing, let your faith continue. Oh, let it continue because you're about to see the beauty of a sunrise. You're about to see it. I want to go back to this while you're in this altar. I want you to listen to me carefully. The accusation of Satan was that God, men don't love you. They just want the blessings you have to give. If you didn't bless men, they wouldn't serve you. Because they don't love you. And God said to Satan, That's not true. Somebody on the earth really loves me. Job really loves me. And when Satan had accomplished most of his bidding, he would have to return to God and admit, Job loves God. even when the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. (laughs) No, church. How we would want to be a people. Maybe in the challenges of a spiritual realm and we know not what is happening or that is unfolding. But maybe being chosen to be a demonstration That 6,000 years later, there's still somebody on earth that loves me for me. Oh, would to God that he would be able to say, First New Testament church loves me for me. They love me. If it's easy, if it's hard, they love me. If I explain everything to them. Or if I choose to hide the counsel in my heart. They love me. They love me. And beloved. The trials. The sufferings that we must go through to enter the kingdom of heaven. You have to be desperate for the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with. need his communion his power his fellowship